0: So glad you're here. Um, if you do not know me, my name is Brandon. I'm the cool guy in the Seinfeld hat, which is a show from the 90s, so it's nice to meet you. My name is Brandon. Yeah, woo for Seinfeld. My name is Brandon. I go to UCF. I'm a business major, because that's probably important to you guys. And um, I'm a junior in college, so I like to, like to be in college. College is cool. So this week we're going to actually be starting a new sermon series. Can anyone tell me what we just finished talking about? What's up, DJ? Jesus, right? We, started to, we were talking about who Jesus is, and we talked about the gospel a lot, right? Can anyone guess from this big phrase of words up on the screen what, what series we're talking about next? What's up, Javen? You think it's live it out? You know what? That hint, that, I don't know why you're thinking that. That's kind of crazy because, yes, that is exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about live it out the book of Philemon. So this week we're going to be in the book of Philemon. So in Philemon chapter 1. Uh, so the memory verse we're going to have for today is James chapter 1 verses uh, 22. And it's this. It's be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So it, that is James chapter 1 verse 22. "Be, <laughs> But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So today we're going to talk about living out the gospel Doing what, what Christ commands us to. A little bit of the background of Philemon, as you'll see if you turn to it, it's the shortest book in the whole Bible. Literally one page, literally one chapter, super super tiny. I think Titus is the only other book that's close to as small it is. But so Philemon is, is super super small. What? It's there's a book smaller? No, there's not. The Old Testament? Oh, yeah, the Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, Philemon is super small. And so anyway, has anyone ever read a whole book of the Bible? Raise your hand. If you read from start to finish in one sitting, just sat down and read through an entire book of the Bible. First John, second John, third John. Yeah, okay. Well, you know what? By the end of today, everyone's going to be able to raise their hand and say, I have. Because we're going to read Philemon, and it's so short, so you'll be able to do that. And before we do, Philemon, this is a personal letter from Paul to a person named Philemon. So kind of the pur- purpose about this is Philemon's a wealthy Christian from Colossae, and he has like a house church, right? It's a church that meets in his home. So Paul writes this letter to him, and actually there's a, there's a whole story that takes place within this letter that we'll read and kind of summarize afterwards, so it'll be a little different than usual. So right now we're in Philemon uh, chapter 1, all of chapter 1, okay? So let's go ahead and get started. Philemon chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Ophelia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I've heard, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus for all of the saints. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me. On your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order the goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer I was a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through our prayers, I'll be graciously given to you. My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends you greetings, and so do Mark, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say these names wrong, Aristicus, Demas, and Luke. My fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Woo! Okay, okay, guys, so if you've never before, you just read a full book of the Bible right there, so now we're gonna, we'll pray and we'll talk more about it. Thank you, God, for today and many blessings. Thank you for allowing us to to read the word, which is from you, God. Allow us just to understand it, to learn the message that you've laid out for us. Allow us to dive deeper into the gospel and learn more about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so before we get into a little bit of an illustration about this, what I first want to do is kind of give you a little plot summary because a lot just happened, and I want to make sure you understand as we go through. So this all takes place... For Paul, Paul's in Rome, and he's writing a letter, and he's, and he's writing a letter to this guy named Philemon. Philemon has a house church, and he has people meeting in this church, but Philemon also has servants, and one of his servants, we believe, ran away from him. We don't know if they stole something, but we, we think that probably he did, so this servant ran away, and, went, and his name was Onesimus, and he found Paul. Now, when the servant found Paul, Paul was, Paul was talking to the servant, and the servant actually became a Christian. He accepted Christ. He, he accepted the gospel, right? He became a Christian. He started doing a bunch of good things with Paul. But Paul said, listen, you got to go back. You've got you to go back to your master who you ran away from, who you stole from, possibly. And you, you need to go back to him. But when you go back to him, I'm going to write you a letter. So Paul writes him a letter, and it's the letter we're reading right now. And so Paul writes him a letter that says, basically, Philemon, you need to release your servant. And you need to let him be free because he's a Christian. He's saved. And if he's done anything wrong, if he's stolen anything from you, Paul says that Paul's going to pay for it, that Paul's going to take the full blame, and that anything that was done wrong, again, Paul's going to take. And he's so confident in what's going to happen that uh, Paul just basically says, this is going to happen. And eventually I'll come down and prepare a room for me and I'll see you. So that's kind of a summary about what's happening in this story, right? And so another quick little side note before we get on to this, this passage talks about something that it can be very intense, right? It talks about something, this servitude or kind of like slavery in the time of Rome. And so what's important for us to understand is kind of this thing called cultural context. And I'll explain what that is. So in here, when we think of slavery in America, we think of this terrible, awful thing that was pushed by racism and hate, right? So that's what we think of. Slavery in Rome was different. It It was not right to own people. It was not right to do any of that. But slavery over there was different. Basically, how it worked, if you owed someone something, you'd serve to them as a servant. And so you would work until you've paid off what you've owed, and that was through servitude. But it could also have been that Onesimus was born into this and he had to work to pay off so he could be free. So just, just to clarify, in this passage, we'll see how it's saying that slavery is wrong, how we're all equal in the eyes of God and how God corrects that. But that's just kind of a side note if you see that here. But anyway, so as we see this story with Onesimus and we see the story with Philemon and we see the story with, with Paul and all that going on, which I talked about, what it really makes me think of, you guys ready? You want to know what it really makes me think of? This really makes me think of Star Wars movies. So this really makes me think of Star Is anyone here a Star Wars fan? Raise your hand if you're a Star Wars fan. Okay, and there's some pretty cool characters. Does anyone have a favorite character in Star Wars? What? Just shout it out. Shout it out. Favorite character. I heard Kylo Ren, Darth Vader, Smog, BB-8. That's pretty cool. Your mom's in Star Wars? I'm so proud. Okay, so there's all these different characters. So I have a few of my favorite characters up here that I'll go ahead and show you. Yoda. Yoda's pretty awesome. No one said Yoda. He's like a green little space wizard. He's awesome. Okay, and then some other ones we have. Ooh, Darth Sidious, kind of the bad guy of the franchise. And we have another one. So, okay, then this is just generic. Like, we have the, the space flute, and this is my favorite. This is my favorite. So... I don't know if you guys know who this is, but go ahead and leave that up for a minute. This is, this is Lumpy, Chewbacca's biological son. And this is, this, what I'm about to tell you is 100% Star Wars canon, so prepare yourselves. So basically, Star Wars released this special episode to celebrate the holidays, to celebrate Christmas, and it was the Star Wars Holiday Special. This released and it was aired on TV in 1978 and thought to be the worst Star Wars anything of all time. It is, it is world-renowned for how bad it is. Basically, what happens in this kind of storyline is that Chewbacca and Han Solo attempt to visit the Wookiee home, the planet Kashyyyk, to celebrate Life Day. And they were pursued by agents of the Galactic Empire who were searching for members of the Rebellion Armada. Right? And basically, what happens in this journey in this trip with Han Solo and Chewbacca, they, they get chased by, by, the, by the empire, right, who's trying to take them down, and they go visit Chewbacca's family to try to hide out. And when they visit Chewbacca's family, we meet Lumpy, who is Chewbacca's child, which is hilarious to me. And basically, what happens in the story is that Lumpy, Lumpy defends his entire family, actually, is what happens in the story. We see that, we see that the, 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 the evil clones, or the evil stormtroopers, tro- storm sorry, 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 stormtroopers. I know, I'm wrong. The evil stormtroopers, he does have the face of a defender. We see that, the, the, that these um, evil stormtroopers are coming in to take over, but Lumpy tries to sacrifice himself at the very end of the film. And before he actually does, yeah, right? And the reason Lumpy does this is because he's seen his dad do this so many times and save people. So Lumpy does the same exact thing. Thing he tries to save his dad, but in the last minute, his dad comes in, Chewbacca, and saves him. So, if you want to see this, you can see this on Disney Plus. They just released it, twenty twenty one. Yeah, you can. So, you can look it up. But this movie is terrible. This 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 movie is awful. But 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 within this movie, we see something really really cool, which is something that we are Christians are called to live by. What we see, it is it is about Jesus. That's a really good observation. Good job. You know where you're at. That's good. So what we see, it it may seem crazy and far-fetched, but listen. As Christians, this idea of what's happening is not so far-fetched. Just like you see Lumpy try to sacrifice himself, we see that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. He took the punishment that was ours. He took everything uh, that we did wrong upon himself, died and rose again, and and if we believe and repent, we shall be saved. Right? Right? And then he calls us to live out the gospel like he did. He calls us, just like Lumpy tried to sacrifice himself because he saw his dad do it so many times, we're called, just as we see Jesus take on things that weren't his, move on for the good, fight for the good, we're called to follow him too. And we're called not just to believe in the gospel, but to follow the gospel as an example in our lives all the time. And so today what we're going to talk about is living out the gospel. And we do this in a a few ways, but the first point, and probably one of the most important points of the night starts on point one is this, that if we want to live out the gospel, we have to rely on the gospel. If we want to live out the gospel, we have to rely on the gospel. So go to Philemon chapter one, verses one through seven. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. So wait, pause right there. Did you see line one? It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. So, Paul, when the servant runs away to seek someone for help, goes to Paul. And Paul, as we see in this letter, is a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He he doesn't just write this to sound cool or like a cool thing to say. Paul is physically, literally, and actually in prison in shackles when he's writing this. So, Paul is imprisoned, he's a prisoner right? And he's actually going through this, and the servant comes to get help from Paul. And you would think like, man, Paul's in prison, and he responds such a positive way, but wait, there's, there's some more. If we go to 1 Corinthians 11, 24 through 25, we actually see some more details about Paul's life. Not just that he was in prison, but also this. Five times he says, I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less than one, And 40 lashes is supposed to be the one to kill you, so 39 is less than one, was one less than death. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure and apart from all other things, there's the daily anxiety and pressures on me for all the churches. So Paul is going through a lot. So he's had all of this happen in his life, and now he's in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't, he didn't commit a crime like rob or do anything like that. He was just being a Christian and sharing his faith, and so they put him in jail for that. But still, Paul responds like this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of everything good that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have, you listening to this, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Paul, who's going through these terrible, terrible things, He's having a good attitude, saying that he's, he's joyous, that he has reason to have joy. He's praying for other people as he's going through this. And we think, how in the world does this happen? How in the world does, is Paul in prison, gone through all these terrible hardships, and now a servant comes to him and asking for help to get free, and then Paul graciously shares with him the gospel. The servant gets saved, and then Paul writes him a letter saying he'll pay for everything the slave has ever done wrong. How does Paul, when he's at such a low point, continue to move forward and do these things that seem just amazing and almost supernatural? It's this. Paul is relying on the gospel the entire time. If we read this passage, it's talking about how he's praying, he's thanking Christ, he's, re- he's relying on God's love. We see that because Paul is trusting in the gospel, he's ever able to have this supernatural endurance. He's able to follow all these things God wants him to do. It's a lot like this. If a scuba diver is told, a scuba diver is told to go underwater and go way down below the water, well, let's just say that scuba diver says, okay, I'll do that. You want me to go underwater, pick up this thing from the bottom of the water, and bring it up to you, right? And it's like at the bottom of the ocean, just say. And so the scuba diver jumps out without a mask, without any oxygen, and tries to swim to the bottom, but he can't, and he keeps coming up. He's like, I can't do it. They're like, yeah, of course you can't do it. You're supposed to put on an oxygen mask. You're supposed to to use that so you can breathe underwater and go down. Just as silly as that sounds for the scuba diver to try to do that with oxygen is like us trying to live the Christian life without the gospel. See, if we ever want to have any opportunity or any ability to do these good things for God, we have to first be saved because we're messed up people. We're sinners. The only reason Paul's able to do this and fight through this and rely on God in this hardship is because he believes and trusts in the gospel. And maybe that's some of you today. Maybe some of you are trying to live out the gospel and do good things without God. And I'm here to tell you, you can't do that. Because the Bible says we're sinners, every single one of us, Romans 3.23, we've all fallen short of the righteousness of God. And we can't possibly do this without Christ changing us. So the first thing when we talk about living out the gospel is we actually have to rely on the gospel. To to live the gospel, we actually have to rely on it or else it doesn't work. So that's really the first thing that we see in this point. And then the next part of the passage kind of dives into something else. So it talks about first to live out the gospel, we have to first rely on the gospel. And then the second point is, To live out the gospel, we have to do so when doing it makes it harder. When living out the gospel, we have to do it even when it's tough, even when it's through a hard situation, and that there's a promise that God's gonna be with us, God's gonna give us a peace, and God's gonna get us through it. So we're called to rely on the gospel, but we're also called to live out the gospel even when it's really hard. We see Paul's already in prison, he's already beaten, Paul's in a situation. And you're probably thinking, how in the world can Paul's situation get worse? How can it get worse? He's in prison. He's at the lowest of low. How can it get worse? I can tell you one way his situation can get worse. Paul can decide to help someone who's a runaway servant, which means that they're running away from basically the police at the time. So someone who's, 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 who's running away, who's committed a crime, possibly stolen. Paul could help them out, then convert them to a Christian, and then have them share the gospel. Because think about it. Paul's in this prison because he shared the gospel, right? And now what is he doing? He's sharing the gospel more, and, and then he's having this person go out and share the gospel with more people. So Paul is doing another step that seems kind of crazy. We see Paul saying, okay, um, I know that I'm in a really bad situation, but, and I know that by following through the gospel, which is to make disciples and share the gospel, that it could put me in a worse situation. But you know what? I'm going to live out the gospel anyway, How does he do that? Well, let's read the passage. In verse 8 through 16. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that the goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For perhaps this is why he pardoned you for a while, that, he might, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially, me, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord." So, mic drop right here, right? Paul's in prison, and he starts this passage with a command. He's telling Philemon, you're to release your servant, even though he might owe you a debt, even though technically under under this Roman authority, even though it might be wrong, he's, he's your master, he owns you, but you have to let him go. Paul is in no position of power, no position of authority, but he's speaking with it. Why? Well, let's keep reading. It's because Paul is relying on the gospel and believing in God and knowing what is right and following through with the scripture. Paul also here, he's an apostle, right? So he kind of has this ability to command Philemon. He also led Philemon to Christ. He, he, He shared with him the gospel, but instead of commanding him, instead of doing these things, Paul wants to do so out of love. So he's sharing the gospel even when it's tough and he's doing so out of love, he's living out the gospel even when it's tough, even when it could get him in so much trouble, and instead of being really quick about it, instead of being kind of really harsh about it, he's being kind and loving and patient. And then we see in verse 10, it says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, who father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and me. So here, real quick, just to understand what this passage is saying in 10 and 11, basically it's just saying Onesimus got saved. When Paul's saying, I became his father, it's kind of like his spiritual father, right? He, he got saved and accepted the gospel. That, that's what he's saying. But then he, he keeps on and says some stuff that's pretty interesting. He says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that the goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So right here, Paul says, so this person that's helping me share the gospel while I'm in prison, I'm going to send back to you so that you can free him, you can do the right thing. So we see here, too, Paul's making a sacrifice. Onesimus is helping him share the gospel. He's helping him do all these things. But Paul says, you know what, I'm sending him back to you because this is what the gospel wants me to do. Onesimus needs to get right with you before he does anything else. Even though that's tough, even though it's going to put me in a harder position, I'm going to send him back. Even though that Philemon could be really mad and, and, and tattle on Paul for what he's doing, Paul doesn't care. He's following through with the gospel. Paul here is, again, living out the gospel even when it could make his situation worse or more difficult. I mean, think about it. If they catch Onesimus, a runaway servant, and find this letter that Paul wrote, they could punish Paul for helping him, punish Paul for trying to spread the gospel more, Philemon could just refuse to do anything, but he keeps doing it because he knows he needs to live out the gospel. So for us, I want you to think about it. Have you ever been in a situation where living out the gospel would make the situation you're in a little bit tougher, but you know it's the right thing to do? I want you to think about it in your head. I know for me, that's been the case. There's been cases where I know if I'm to live the gospel if I'm going to live kind of a Christian life, if I'm going to do the right thing that God wants, that that's going to make my situations harder. One th- situation I can think of is, is my best friend. My best friend growing up, he's, I-, I loved him to death like a brother. His name was Marlon. He was my neighbor. We met because my mom told his mom to pick me up from school. I never met the kid, nor his family. And I just got in their car because my mom proved it and made sure it was safe and there, was, there were precautions taking place. But anyway, so... I, I, met the, I met him for the first time. We became best friends. I became best friends with Marlon. Um, to, still to this very day, we're, we're really good friends. I, I, again, I love him like a brother. But um, me and Marlon started to kind of drift apart a little bit because I, I became a Christian when I was 12 and when I knew him. And um, I didn't start living out the Christian life eventually until I was 16. And me and Marlon started to have some stuff different. He started to do some stuff that I knew that was wrong that I knew I shouldn't do but he really wanted to do it. And I also knew that, worse than all that, that Marlon didn't believe in in God. He, he, He really, actually, genuinely hated God. And he really didn't want to do anything about it. And so I knew that as a Christian that I needed to share with Marlon the love of the gospel in a very loving way. But I also knew if I did that, he really wouldn't like it. I knew that if I did that, he'd be very mad at me and it would really hurt our friendship. But I still did it. Not because I'm some great person, but because I, I felt God's conviction like I had to. And it really hurt my friendship with him. We stopped hanging out as much. We stopped being able to do stuff because he was, he was really upset that I didn't agree with him. And he was really upset that I was a Christian. He, he met with me and Mike for a while. And he, he, he really got to the place where he almost actually became a Christian. But then he actively said, I'm going to hell and I'm okay with that. And um, he's he's genuinely really not, but he's convinced himself that. But I say that to say that I knew sharing the gospel with my best friend would put me in a weird situation with him. I knew it would put me in a weird situation with his family. And it would make me a lot more bored because I wouldn't have my best friend to hang out with. And it would really hurt me because I knew he wouldn't really want to be my friend anymore. But I knew that was the right thing to do. See, sharing the gospel and living out the gospel is the right thing to do. God will give you a peace about it. I I have a peace about it. I knew that I did the right thing and that God's with me because of it. And hopefully one day, because of that, maybe Marlon will become a Christian. But God's given me a peace, and God also lets me know, yeah, you you followed what I wanted to do. So it might have put me in a worse situation, but God gave me a peace that got me through that. But my challenge and what I'm telling you guys is that sometimes you're going to have to share the gospel, or sometimes God's going to want you to share the gospel, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to do. But ultimately, we, we can do it because God has such an amazing power, such an amazing love, such an amazing strength that fuels us and lets us do that. It talks about Philippians 4.7, or it starts in 4.6. Have anxiety and nothing, but in everything have prayer and supplication, and the peace of God will guard your hearts beyond your understanding. So you may not know why these things are happening, but, but God will protect you and guide you. So we see that to share the gospel, we have to rely on the gospel. And we also see that we have to do so even when it's really, really hard. But if we do, God's going to give us such a peace. Just like in this passage, Paul could say it with such confidence and such strength and such love. Why? Because he was a Christian, and God will allow you to do these things out of his heart. It might be tough. It may lead to bad results, but God will always be there for you. God will always love you through it. God will always give you a peace. So we're called to live out the gospel. Just like I said, we rely on it. We do so even when it's hard. And kind of the final thing, or our third point about living out the gospel is that it calls us to do more than you need to. We're called to live out the gospel. We're called to do so when it calls you to do more than, than you think you need to do. What do I mean by that? Well, let's go back to the scripture, verses 17 through 20. It says, so if you consider me, your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This is Paul talking about Onesimus' owings in his account. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even yourself. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. What this passage is saying, so if you consider me your partner, so Paul's saying that, hey, listen, if you think I'm your friend, receive Onesimus, receive this person who's done you wrong and run away from you and maybe stolen from you as if you would receive me. So treat him just like you would treat me. Then in verse 8, he says, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, Paul says, if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. So if he owes you anything, I'll pay all of it. He's talking financially there. And then he says this, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. See, commonly Paul had scribes and people write it for him. But then Paul came along, he had a scribe write this, and then Paul started writing, and he let him know. He said, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. So Paul's writing with his own hand, showing, okay, I'm telling you this is a contract. I owe you anything that he owed you. And then he also kind of Roasts him a little bit here and says, not even to say of you owing me, even yourself. That's because Paul shared the gospel with him. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Basically saying, do the right thing. Paul had already done more than he had to do. He's in prison, but he still helps Onesimus by sharing the gospel with him. And then what Paul did is he wrote a letter to Philemon to free him. And then he offers to pay back anything that Onesimus owes Literally anything that he owes. Paul did not have to do that. Paul in this passage goes above and beyond what he had to do. But honestly, we see that he really takes it a step further that says, Receive him as you would receive me. So Paul's saying, Just like I'm your friend, see him the same exact way. Onesimus was a servant. Onesimus was someone that Philemon technically in this world had owned. But Paul said, don't see him like that. See him as you'd see a friend. Why? Because he's a Christian. The Bible always always tells us to treat everyone equally, to see them equally under the cross, to see them equally as people. And any time anyone is put as not a person or less than, that is wrong and that is a sin. And what Paul is making so clear here is that we love everyone and treat everyone equally. But Paul's also saying that you have to do more than you think you're gonna have to do. And we say, why, why do we do this? Well, why do we do more than we think we need to? Why, why let's say, when, when someone needs help crossing the street, do I also give them a ride to work? Or why, when a classmate says, hey, can I borrow a pencil? I say, no, 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 you can also keep that pencil. Do two little things like that, why do I do that? Why, when someone wrongs me, do I forgive them and then I, I continue to help them and be their friend? Well, we do that because of one reason. Because Jesus Christ did so much more for us than we deserved, than we owed, period. Jesus was perfect. He lived a perfect life. He was with God forever in heaven because He was God. So Jesus is God. He's been in heaven for eternity and He came down and lived a perfect life. He, he, he being fully God, became fully man and lived this life where now He was hungry, now He was thirsty. And he lived it perfectly, and he died the most excruciating death possible, and he took the full weight of our sin on the cross. He never did any sin, but he took all of our sin. Says he who know no sin became it. He took all of the sin, and he died, and he rose again, and said, "If you believe in me, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, right? It's what says this through the Scripture, Romans chapter ten, verse nine. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That we can be forgiven of everything." And now not only are we made right with God, but when we die, when we believe in that, we get to go to heaven and be with God and just worship him in his glory forever. So not only did Jesus pay the debt for us, because Jesus just paid the debt for us and said, okay, now now you're right with God. Now you're just in this neutral stage. Now you have to work your way up. He could have just done that, but that's not what he did. He paid everything for us, made us right with God, and made us right with God forever if we believe in him. Because of the gospel, because of everything that Jesus did for us, we're called to follow his example, to live out the gospel. And really in this passage, we're supposed to be like Paul. We're supposed to be someone who's forgiving, who's loving, who's relying on the Lord, who takes someone's punishment for them and, and gets through these hard times relying on God. But really, if we think about it, we're, we're, we're not Paul. We should be, but we're not. In this passage, we're closest to Onesimus. We're just, we're, we're, we're a servant. We're a slave to sin. We've we've done wrong. And we've run away from heaven. We've run away from our home. But then Jesus is there. Paul, in this case, takes on kind of like a Christ-like role, even though he is a sinner. He needs God's grace. In this particular passage, Paul really kind of takes on Jesus' kind of role here in a, in a kind of a metaphorical sense. And Paul says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay what you owe. Just like how when we run away from heaven, Jesus says, I'll pay w- what you owe. And just like Paul gave a letter that Onesimus could take back to his master and he could be okay because his master would see Onesimus as Paul because of everything Paul had done, now, when we go back home to God, if you believe in the gospel because of what Christ has done by dying on the cross and rising again and repenting and believing him, God won't see you. He'll see everything that Jesus did for you. And so that's the gospel, and that's the beautiful thing. So we're called to live out the gospel, but remember the first point. Before we can do any of that, we have to rely on the gospel. And before you have to rely on the gospel, we have to believe in the gospel. And so maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're like, man, I've, I've never... Um, became a Christian. I've never confessed that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior and that God raised him from the dead I, I, and that, that he was God. I've never confessed that. I've never believed that. Maybe that's you tonight. Well, if you want to be a Christian, all you got to do is one thing. It's Romans chapter 10, verse 9. You just got to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You just got to know that he did that. You got to know that Jesus died, was perfectly God, was, was perfect lived a perfect life, took all of your sin, that he died and rose again. If we believe in him, we're saved. That's all you got to do to become a Christian. If you have any questions about that tonight, like, hey, I want to become a Christian, that's all you got to do. And if you do, please come talk to us. (laughs) And if you have any questions about what a Christian is, how to better live out the gospel, or any of that, please come up and talk to us. And so right now, what we're going to do is we're going to break up into groups. We're going to talk about this passage. We're going to talk about how to live out the gospel. And then... We'll have a really good rest of the night. So I'm just going to go ahead and pray. Thank you, God, for today. and mean, bless things. Thank you for every single person in this room. God, allow every single person in this room to know that they are loved by you, God, that they are here for a purpose, they are here for a reason. They're not a mistake. They're not an accident. God, they're here just to bring you glory. I thank you for every single person in this room, God, and I thank you for the gospel. I pray if anyone in here is not a Christian, they'd believe in you tonight. They'd confess tonight they'd come home, they'd realize, they'd come running with that letter, realizing that now they're free. Now, now, now we're seen with the deeds of Christ, not with the deeds of what we've done. Bless this conversation and bless this day, Lord. We love you and praise you and worship you, God. In Jesus' name we pray.